The ranching industry finds itself in the crosshairs on the issue of climate change, and denial is not an option. I have news for you. If society cares about climate change the way they do, then this topic will become your topic because these are your customers, these are your clients. Dr. Frank Mitlerner from UC Davis joins us. Is ranching hurting our climate as some claim? Find out on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, welcome to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and thank you for joining us on our program this week, coming to you all the way from my carbon-positive ranch here in Northeast Wyoming. Kind of a play on words there in light of our topic today on climate change. Now, I'm really not sure if my ranch is carbon-positive, but after my conversation with our guest today, it really does kind of lead me to believe that mine is. My guest is Dr. Frank Mitlerner, a professor and uh, air quality specialist at UC Davis. But I think that if you're in the cattle business, today's topic on climate change will provide a very good base to start to understand this issue in a very factual and scientific way. So that, for example, when you hear someone say and accuse our cows that their flatulence and burps are causing our climate to change, that instead of the response that I hear quite often that starts with, well, that person's full of Uh, or or rather cowmaner here we'll use today instead, we can have a discussion about carbon life of methane and how our cows are not only beneficial to carbon sequestration, but to providing a healthy source of food for our country. So I think you're going to find today's topic very educational. And with that in mind, I think it's a good time also to remind you that the Working Ranch radio show can be heard through nearly every podcast avenue that we're aware of right now. And, of course, right here on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM, each Saturday starting at 12 noon Eastern. Now, the only reason I bring all of that up is that... In this episode, I think it's going to be one that you're going to want to listen to one or two more times to catch everything that is in it, as Dr. Mittlerner has a lot of knowledge that he will share that may take just a few times through to catch it all. So we'll start with that in our next segment. Also in today's show, the captain will be up in just a bit to offer his two cents. And in the last segment, meteorologist Don Day joins us as we discuss the areas of the country that he's concerned about for drought and an update on the La Nina weather pattern. Well, right now, a thank you to our sponsors for today's program of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association with research that's backed by some of the most extensively documented genetics and largest multi-breed database in the industry. SimGenetics is profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Other sponsors include Cattleman U, education and community for today's cattle producers. Join today and use the code RANCH for $50 off. Also, the American Hereford Association, come home to Hereford. Performance beef, easy-to-use cattle management software. The North American Limousine Foundation, limousine cattle deliver to your bottom line. Central Life Sciences, protect your cattle profits with Altacid IGR flight control products. And our final sponsor is Beefmaster. Nothing beats a Beefmaster. 
Well, it seems like December is just months and months away, but I'll tell you, it'll be here before we know it, which means it'll also be the time for the first Working Ranch Expo, and I hope you can join all of us from Working Ranch for this three-day event. It'll be held December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Las Vegas at the Las Vegas Convention Center with the finals back in Las Vegas. It's going to be a great event designed just for cattle producers, and we think you'll like it. It'll be right across from Cowboy Christmas easy to find. If you'd like to exhibit or just interested in attending, you can find out more at WorkingRanchExpo.com. Well, we're just a few short weeks out before the next edition of Working Ranch Magazine comes out. And if you don't have a subscription to what I've had people tell me that this is the magazine every rancher needs to get, you can do it by going to WorkingRanchMag.com or you can also get a hold of me here. I can get you pointed in the right direction. The number to get a hold of me is at 307-363-COWS. That's 307-363-COWS or email me at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Well, let's now check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Radio Land. You know what, Justin? I've started to take the daily newspaper in my little hometown here in Nevada. And one of the most surprisingly interesting things that I find are the obituaries. And I originally kind of thought you'd read the obituary and then kind of, you know, lament about, well, oh, Johnny Boy died or Mrs. Mabel passed away and that sort of thing. But that's not what I'm getting out of it. I'm getting this wonderful peek into the lives of these people that did some really amazing things. And some of them are are not astounding. They were just wonderful, solid people. And they just, and that's the amazing thing that they did. They were loved by a lot of people. They were, they're going to be sorely missed. I wish the heck they'd call it something different than the obituary. That just, that's a I don't, that's a harsh word. I'd rename it to, this is what I did, something like that. I tell you what too, Justin, I think I'm going to write my own obituary. That's the way to go. I'm going to leave that to somebody else. I'm going to tell everything. It's my two cents. Well, Captain, the way you signed out there kind of sounded like you were going to write a tell-all as your obituary, kind of a mischievous edge to your voice. But, you know, what came to my mind was something that I'm sure was not written by the deceased. And in this case, it was a headstone. And if you remember the movie Tombstone, the camera pan and showed the headstone of Lester Moore in the Boot Hill Cemetery there in Tombstone, Arizona. Here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a forty-four, no less, no more. Now, I don't think Lester wrote his own or headstone in that case, but whoever did sure does deserve some credit, though. We'll stay with us. When we return, we'll talk animal agriculture and climate change. We'll be back with more of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low risk, 
high potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong. Simmental. Successful cattlemen have a secret. They're always open to learning new ideas, and you can do that through Cattlemen U. Cattlemen U is an online community for beef producers or beginning farmers and ranchers who want to learn about agricultural marketing strategies, successful farm and ranch practices, futures markets, and more. Access new trainings from industry experts each month and network with members across the nation. Visit CattlemanU.com to sign up today and use code RANCH for $50 off at CattlemanU.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And our topic for this program is on climate change and what animal agriculture has to do with it. And to me, today's program is a jumping off point in an effort to be more educated and informed about this topic. We are past the point on this issue of being real nitpicky within our industry because it's an issue that's blowing up quickly. And if we in our ag industry don't pull together it's going to blow up our industry. And I'm not trying to be over dramatic here, but it is time to get real on this issue of climate change. So joining me today is Dr. Frank Mitlerner, a professor and air quality specialist in the Department of Animal Science at UC Davis and is also the director of the Clear Center, which you'll hear more about later. So Dr. Mitlerner, first of all, thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Oh, you're so welcome. Let's first start from the very beginning, and I know in agriculture there's a lot of skepticism about the topic of climate change and greenhouse gases, and I, I think some of it is legitimate because we always feel like we're the target, one of the targets, and having to defend ourselves, and so I think it's a natural inclination to have some skepticism, but let's let's start with the basics and give us you know, the 101 on climate change and greenhouse gases. Yeah, so uh, the one thing I can tell you is uh, I understand that people feel threatened and uh, and accused, but uh, that's a separate topic from whether or not climate change exists. Um, you know, because some people use that topic uh, because they feel that they can attack agriculture that way. But um, with respect to climate change itself, does it exist? And my answer is a clear yes, it does. And in agriculture, we feel its uh, its effects. Um, but let me first explain what this is and why uh, why we're even talking about this. So um, imagine the sun radiating down solar beams to the earth. Okay, so when you when you stand out in the in the sunlight, uh, you feel the warmth on your skin. That's uh, solar radiation coming from the sun onto the onto the surface of the earth. Normally, that solar radiation would be reflected back into space if there weren't these so-called greenhouse gases. These are gases such as carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide. These gases, they pretty much form a blanket, a blanket over our atmosphere. And that blanket traps the heat from the sun and keeps it in our atmosphere, which is really important. Without these greenhouse gases, life on Earth would be way too cool. So we need greenhouse gases. But the problem is we now have too many of them. And because human activity particularly the use of fossil fuel, is producing a lot, particularly of CO2, of carbon dioxide. That stuff builds up in the atmosphere, and it traps the heat from the solar radiation. And the more of these gases we put in the air, the more heat we trap, and that leads to global warming. 
And that's where the problem lies. Now, most climate scientists will tell you by far the most important source of human activity causing climate change is the use of fossil fuels, oil, coal, and gas. But then there are people, generally those who always had a beef with livestock, um, you know, in the past more related to animal welfare and animal rights and so on. They have changed their stripes, and now they say, oh, no, no, it's all about climate, and livestock is, is pushing the climate to go up, and, um, and hence we need to reduce production and consumption of animal source foods. So to expand a little more on what you just said about those people that have always had a beef with livestock now changing their stripes and focusing on climate, that really, for them, has become quite a successful leveraging tool in their argument against animal agriculture. Oh, absolutely. I have no doubt about that. And uh, in particular, in particular, they use um, methane, one of the greenhouse gases, which is a potent greenhouse gas and which is uh, emitted by livestock, particularly by cattle. But they don't understand the nuances around it. And uh, I hope during this interview we can talk a little bit about methane because that's a very important narrative. It seems like the focus, especially in light of what some of the influencers in our society, those being elected and non-elected, have expressed and then is being amplified through social media and even mainstream media here in the United States and globally, they've really been targeting animal agriculture as being a major source of greenhouse gases. So what do the numbers say about animal agriculture's effect on our climate? Well, you first have to ask um, globally or in the United States or even regionally within the United States. So that's the first question, okay, because the critics of animal agriculture always cite a global number uh, because the global number is higher than the U.S. number, and they use that so that um, U.S. Uh, livestock and ag gets a bad rap. Mm -hmm. um, that's why they use global numbers. In the United States, the EPA is keeping taps on greenhouse gases, and they are, of course, producing U.S. numbers. So first of all, what is animal agriculture's impact on climate globally? Globally, it's around 14.5%. So that's one for 14.5% globally. That number is high because in most developing countries, uh, they don't really have a, a significant transportation system and power production and, uh, and all these things that, uh, that are large emission sources, but they have a lot of livestock there. And so in countries like Ethiopia or Paraguay or so, they have way more livestock than people, and hence the livestock sector makes a large, makes up a large portion of their carbon footprint. And because we have so many developing countries, the global average for livestock is high. Contrast the global 14.5 to the U.S. impact of animal agriculture on the total, which is 4%. So in the United States, all livestock, according to the EPA, emit approximately 4% of direct emissions. 80%, uh, 8.0, comes from fossil fuel sources, such as cars, trucks, trains, planes, ships, power plants, and so on. 4% for livestock, okay? Mm -hmm. And approximately half of that is cattle. So, um, so in the United States, the entire beef sector, for example, which is oftentimes criticized, Entire beef sector combined is is anywhere between two to three percent of total greenhouse gas emissions in the country. Let's take a break here, and when we come back, does animal agriculture provide any positive aspect to reducing greenhouse gases? We'll find out after this. Do you know your break even for every group of cattle on feed? 
Performance beef users have quick access to real-time accurate data. The technology simplifies feeding to financial data, making it easy to generate real-time closeouts, update rations, or analyze performance trends all in one place. Your feed, financial, and health information are integrated in one easy-to-use platform accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills, your host, and today my guest is Dr. Frank Mitlerner, a professor and air quality specialist in the Department of Animal Science at UC Davis, and we're talking about climate change in relation to ranching. And Dr. Mitlerner, before the break, you said that animal agriculture in the United States accounts for 4% of greenhouse gases, and 2% of that 4% is attributed to cattle. But what does it look like from a net number perspective? For example, are there things, ranching practices, that can contribute to putting carbon back in the soil, which I believe the term would be called carbon sequestration, but can animal agriculture replenish the carbon supply in the soil? Yeah, so uh, one of the problems and one of the reasons why people in agriculture are not so happy with the current inventories is that the inventories only look for sources not for sinks, and because methane is largely mischaracterized. And let me explain that. So first of all, a large sink would be carbon sequestration from soils. Okay, Soils have the ability to trap a lot of carbon. Uh, in fact, our soils trap about one-third of all greenhouse gases, so they are a very important sink for greenhouse gases. But soil carbon sequestration is not really... Um, listed in the emission inventories and so many farmers wonder well why not and we should we should ask why not okay that's that's one important question the other very important issue is that within animal agriculture by far the most important greenhouse gas is methane now methane is different compared to other greenhouse gases and i need to explain that um, because uh, it's a very important part of the narrative so it is true that methane is a potent greenhouse gas. It can trap the heat from the sun much better than, let's say, CO2. Okay, so it makes it a potent greenhouse gas, almost almost 30 times more heat trapping than CO2. Okay, so this is like uh, if I were to use an analogy, like a styrofoam cup and a china cup and a Starbucks $20 insulated cup. These three different cup types can all keep your coffee warm, but they do so at different uh, lengths of time, right? The styrofoam cup coffee would cool down the fastest. And the Starbucks $20 insulated cup would keep it warm the longest. So there are differences there. And the same is true for these greenhouse gases. Uh, CO2 is the one that's most abundant. We have the most of that in the atmosphere. Uh, and that's the styrofoam uh, cup analogy. And, and methane would be the China cup. And then nitrous oxide, even more potent, would be the insulated cup. So um, how are these gases different from one another? Well, CO2 and nitrous oxide are long-lived. That means once they are in the air, they stay there for hundreds or thousands of years. Every time you've ever driven a car, every time you've ever driven a car, you put CO2 into the air and that CO2 is still there. And it stays there for a thousand years. So CO2 and nitrous oxide are only produced, but they are not destroyed. But methane is both produced and destroyed. And that's very important to your listeners because there is what's called a natural 
atmospheric removal, a removal process by which methane that's in the air gets destroyed. Okay, an atmospheric removal process by which methane gets destroyed. And that destruction rate of methane is almost identical with the production of methane. But currently, this atmospheric removal, this destruction process is not accounted for. It's not accounted for. Now think about that. This is like, let me give you an, another, another analogy, okay? So uh, what's the difference between CO2 and methane, carbon dioxide and methane? Well, imagine a bathtub. And this first bathtub, that's the analogy for CO2, is a bathtub where you have a faucet, but no drain. You have a faucet, but no drain. Every time you open the faucet, water is added to the bathtub and the levels rise. And that's what happens when you burn fossil fuel. Every time we burn fossil fuel, we produce new CO2 and add it to the existing stock. And that is what's driving the climate. Now, how does our methane analogy look like? So this is a bathtub that has both a faucet and it has a drain. And that drain is the atmospheric removal of methane. So now you have a faucet and you have a drain. If you have constant cattle herds, then that's like turning on your faucet, but you have an open drain. And that means at the same rate you add water, you subtract water through the drain. That's what happens with methane if you have constant cattle herds, okay? Constant livestock herds, which we do in the United States. If you increase methane, then that's a problem because then you crank that faucet up all the way and then you add uh, water to the bathtub because more is added than subtracted. But here's something important. If you manage to reduce methane, for example, through mitigation, through feed additives or manure digesters or so, then you add less water to that bathtub than you subtract. And that means now the, the levels go down. And that is what we have been doing in states like California at a very rapid rate. Mm -hmm. And that means we have uh, agriculture as a potential solution provider to our climate issue. What, what's interesting to me is after I listen to your explanation right there, I'm puzzled in, in what I'm going to call, and, and I'm not a scientist and I'm not going to claim to be, but what I would consider to be bad science that continues to pursue the removal of agriculture in our country. You know, in the past, uh, the units that are currently used to quantify methane, they, they were okay. They were all right because methane levels went up. And when methane goes up, then the unit that had been used in the past to characterize methane works. But that same unit does not work when you have constant sources of methane or decreasing sources of methane. Then that unit doesn't work at all because it does not take care, it does not take into consideration that atmospheric removal of this gas. This is like you going to your bank and saying, you know, um, I don't believe in budgets anymore. I, I only want you to consider my, my income and not my uh, expenses. You know, the banker would show you the door very quickly. Uh, and that's what's happening here. We are currently in a situation where agriculture, for example, is only, um, is only assigned the liability, but not the asset. Okay, and that's just not fair. It's not right, and it needs to change. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Frank Mittlerner after the break. And when we come back, we'll talk about what agriculture has done or, or rather not done to allow this issue to snowball into a very large issue that now has begun to dominate our society's view on our industry. 
quiet, easy handling Hereford cow. That's right, no broken fences, no busted gates, no injured people. Herefords lead the way in the silent traits and fertility. Studies show they increase profitability by more than $51 per cow per year. At the same time, that's real money and real results. Isn't it time for you to come home to Hereford? Learn more at Hereford.org. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and thank you for joining us here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. As I'm joined by Dr. Frank Mitlerner, a professor at the Department of Animal Science at UC Davis. And we're going to head now into this conversation of climate change down a road that I think we need to go. And that is for the ag industry, for us as ranchers, to take some responsibility as an industry of what we could do better. So, Dr. Mitlerner, what has agriculture done, or or rather not done, that's allowed for this negative narrative to be propagated against our industry? So the biggest problem is that um, oftentimes agriculture just does not listen. Okay, and I'm I'm really critical on this because uh, if and when there are major societal uh, movements and uh, almost trends, you know, when when people you know, 10 years ago, all of a sudden, everybody was concerned about animal welfare and animal housing and, and how we treat animals and so on. Uh, when that happens, then agriculture needs to be at the forefront explaining what they do and how they do it and that they care and how they care and so on. And not look the other way and say, come on, leave us alone. We know what we're doing. That's no longer cutting it. The same is true for the climate the, the, the climate discussion right now, where many people in agriculture say, you know what, I don't believe in climate change. I have news for you. If society cares about climate change the way they do, then this topic will become your topic because these are your customers, these are your clients. Uh, and and if they if they want to reduce their, their carbon footprint and some extremists, some activists tell them uh, eating is the best way to do it, um, then they will ask questions. Okay? That's just the way it is. So in my opinion, the first and most important thing is you have to listen. You have to understand that your your industry does have a contribution to climate change. Some of it is negative, some of it is positive. Your industry has quantified the impacts. We know what the impacts are. We have quantified it. We have put it in the period uh, literature. And we have made pledges to further reduce the impacts. And we are way ahead of the curve with respect to, in, in, in comparison to other sectors of society. But um, we need to stop uh, looking the other way or sticking our head in the sand and take this bull by the horns and tell the world nobody cares more about the sustainability um, of our lands, of our animals, and of our businesses than we do. Nobody cares more about that than we do. Don't leave the discussion to some activists, but it's your discussion. It's your legacy. And if you don't like the term sustainability, I have news for you. It's just another word for stewardship, being the best steward of your land, the best steward of your animals, the welfare of your animals, the best steward of land and water and soil, the best steward of the products you produce. I mean, come on. Of course you want to be the best steward of all of this. Some people call it sustainability. You know, if that's what people like to call it, so be it. But you need to show that you care. You need to show that you are protective of your legacy and that you really mean it. In general, what animal agriculture does 
And I know in in every industry, there's always bad eggs. But in general, what we do as ranchers is what we're doing harmful to the climate. No, it's not. Absolutely not. So uh, if you want to stay with ranchers um, in particular, here I can tell you that uh, we have about 750,000 ranchers in the United States. And we have about 1,400 feedlots in the United States. The 750,000 ranches we have, on average, have, have 50 mama cows, and um, the sector is very stable altogether. Um, the amount of methane that your, your animals produce, for example, uh, equals the amount of methane that's destroyed through a process called oxidation, okay? That's that atmospheric removal that I talked about earlier. If you, if you have cattle and you run them uh, on your ranch, then um, what will happen is that the methane they belch out and the methane that's produced from the manure um, will be in the atmosphere. It will be there for about 10 years and then it will be gone. Okay? It originates, the carbon in that methane originates in atmospheric CO2. Atmospheric CO2, the CO2 that's in the atmosphere, in the air. That CO2 goes into the plants during photosynthesis. So, for example, the grasses that you have on your ranch. And so the grasses take on CO2 from the air and they make that CO2 carbon into carbohydrates like cellulose or starch. Then the animals eat that plant material and with it the carbon that's contained in the carbohydrates. And then they they convert some of that into methane. And that methane stays in the air for 10 years and then it's broken back down into CO2. So this is a cyclical event that happens on on a ranch. In addition to what I just said, the so-called biogenic carbon cycle, which recycles carbon. In addition to that, uh, cattle do something really important to our soils, which is uh, most ranches are on what's called marginal land. That land cannot be used to grow crops, by and large. Not everywhere, but in most most cases. Uh, On most ranch lands, you cannot uh, really grow crops. Um, and why not? Because it's too stony, too rocky, too hilly, too not fertile enough or not enough water. So if, if you weren't using it the way you do with ruminant animals, then we cannot make use of that land for human food production. So, but now you are doing it, you are using it, and you're converting something that humans cannot eat, which is cellulose, the world's most abundant biomass, by the way. You're using cellulose converting that into some of the most valuable, nutritionally valuable food item there is. is, There are very few food items that are more nutritionally wholesome than than beef, for example. So the other thing you do is your cattle, um, of course, graze, and then they defecate and urinate. And uh, these excreta will add nutrients to a marginal soil. And that will then stimulate microbes in the soil to increase what's called soil carbon sequestration, which means pulling carbon out of the air and storing it in the soil. So I think a proper grazing management will increase uh, soil health and improve soil carbon sequestration. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the long answer, but it's a complex topic. No, and and, and I think that's I, I think it coincides with some other topics that we've had here on our show, and that is initiating and having uh, grazing practices on your ranch. So I think it goes hand in hand with what we've talked about previously. I don't want to go get too far into the weeds here, but but I do know that we have uh, ranchers that also have some element of farming 
in their operations as well. And can we touch on that? I know it, another might be another big subject, but can we kind of briefly talk about what can farming do to help their story? So crop farmers, they can definitely be part of a solution, but they can also be part of a problem. So in addition to methane, there's also nitrous oxide, which is a very potent greenhouse gas. And also, not just is it potent, meaning it can trap a lot of of heat, but it's also long-lived. It it stays in the atmosphere for well over 100 years. So that gas um, is generally produced when you put nitrogen fertilizer into the ground, whether that's chemical fertilizer or animal manure, nitrous oxide can be produced. And we don't want that. We want to limit that. That's one way where crop agriculture can hurt the climate by releasing nitrous oxide. Mm -hmm. Um, But by applying nitrogen at times that plants actually need it, that you have plants on the the land as opposed to applying something uh, before plants are on the land. Uh, when you when you don't apply uh, fertilizer at agronomic rates, when you don't do it at, at agronomic rates, then you can get nitrogen losses like ammonia or nitrous oxide. If you do it well, if you apply fertilizers at the right time, at the right amount, then you minimize these unwanted nutrient losses. Um, there's one more thing that's important, and that is on the carbon side, um, I already told you that soils are our best friend when it comes to carbon capture. About one-third of all human-caused greenhouse gases are captured and really locked away in soils. But this capture, this carbon capture, only works only works if you don't disrupt the soil. If you till the soil, then all the carbon that was stored in the soil will come back out. So if you use low-till or no-till practices then you will maximize the amount of carbon stored in the ground and you will keep it there. Mm-hmm. But if you till, if you till, then that carbon will be released back into the air. So tillage um, and, and the kind of tilling, uh, tillage system is really uh, determining whether or not your farm will be part of the solution, uh, namely by storing carbon in the ground or whether you will release that carbon that you previously uh, sequestered. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to go on the offense and what that would look like as we tell our story about the benefits of animal agriculture to our climate. We'll be back after this. If you could do something today that would bring you a profit tomorrow, would you do it? In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds, naturally, to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as Limousine Today profit tomorrow. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills, and my guest is Dr. Frank Mitlerner, a professor and air quality specialist in the Department of Animal Science at UC Davis. Climate change in relation to ranching is our focus today. And Dr. Mitlerner, before we had started our interview, you shared with me about a recent interview that you had done with a YouTube channel called What I've Learned. And I went and looked them up and they have over 1.7 million subscribers. But 
The title of the episode where they interviewed you was Eating Less Meat Won't Save the Planet, Here's Why. But this 24-minute video, it's just one of the one of the forums that can be used to tell our story along with social media. Yeah, so uh, I would love it if your listeners could um, could watch that video and share it and um, and also become more active on social media because that's where uh, particularly the younger generation uh, gets their information and they are seeking uh, information from from people who actually who actually are the real deal. They want to talk to farmers. They want to hear from farmers, from ranchers, how things are operated in the real world. Um, We need to have people, authentic people out there uh, sharing information with an interested public. And uh, please don't be shy on Twitter and so on, uh, but engage. Look, I'm a professor at UC Davis. I don't have to be on Twitter. In fact, in fact, when I first asked why I'm not on Twitter, I thought, gosh, you know, that, that's just stupid. You know, what can I say in 280 characters that's mm-hmm. meaningful? But you know what? I was silly for having waited so long because now I have anywhere between one to three million impressions a month, meaning that many people who check, check on, uh, on my Twitter handle and, and see what I have to say. And uh, that's a huge impact mm-hmm. to have. Mm-hmm. By the way, GHG Guru is my handle for those who are interested in, in Twitter, and I hope that's many of you. Yeah, and I'm just going to say that again because uh, you have a great German accent, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so so it's it's uh, his Twitter is at GHG Guru, and yes. is uh, is his Twitter handle there. But let's continue on with a little more of the solutions because let's start providing some optimism here for our industry and and what does a solution look like and, and how do we put this together in what you think would be a good approach as we move forward yeah look um you know i live here in california originally i'm from germany i live here in california and we have ambitious goals okay for example a methane goal of reducing methane by 40 percent for zero uh, and within the next 10 years and so at first our farmers went up in arms and uh, and said there's no way that we can possibly achieve that and uh, but little did they know that uh, the state had something up their sleeves which was uh, financial incentivizing financially incentivizing the reduction of methane um, so the state um, helped with capital investment but also um, building a cap and trade system um, and uh, giving credits for people to convert uh, biogas, let's say, from from manure into fuels. Okay, the conversion of biogas into fuels receives what's called low-carbon fuel standard credits, and these credits are huge. Farmers doing this are now really receiving financial uh, support. And so much so that many of our farmers are jumping onto this. Um, I told you we have a 40% goal. Our farmers here in California have already achieved 25 of the 40. So we're over halfway there in reducing methane. And that makes me very hopeful because in addition to this manure derived success of 25% reduction of methane. We also, in this process here at UC Davis, of developing enteric emission reduction uh, techniques and technologies. And that means uh, feed additives that reduce enteric methane. 
Enteric methane is that methane that's belched out from cattle, let's say. And um, by reducing that methane, we are also improving the performance of those cattle because now they are um, losing less energy via methane, and that energy is then uh, used to, to perform better. So there are win-wins. That's what I'm trying to say here. There are win-wins, and agriculture is in the midst of that. So we have turned something that was viewed as a liability into an asset. A moment ago, you touched on the fact of how important it was that we reach out through social media and that folks are wanting to hear an authentic source. Uh, Your words were the real deal. And in addition to that, is there something else or someone else that we should be partnering with to help us in telling our story? I have to tell you, this is probably one of the greatest um, weaknesses within agriculture, that whenever you hear some news coming out, it's in the form of some PR, public relations campaign. And people are largely immune to that. What we are lacking is some real authenticity out there, real people telling real stories about what they do day in, day out. That's what we are really lacking. I got I got really tired of this. And... Um, one and a half years ago decided, yes, I'm a faculty member here at UC Davis, and so I'm supposed to publish and teach students, and so on. Of course, I do that. Um, But in addition, I decided that I needed to do more, and so I established a center uh, here on campus at UC Davis called the CLEAR Center, and half of its mission is research. So I have postdocs and graduate students and so on doing research trials on various environmental issues around livestock. But the other half is communications. I'm probably one of the very few, if any, faculty members in the country who is hiring uh, journalists to work with me on uh, writing explainers on certain topics, uh, writing blogs, responding to media requests, Mm -hmm. uh, putting out white papers or op-eds, um, you know, being very active on Twitter and on on other uh, social media platforms like YouTube and so forth. So the Clear Center has really made a difference, and I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. Well, before you go, Dr. Mitlerner, do you have any final comments, some final instructions that you just want to make clear to our listeners here on the Working Ranch Radio Show? Well, I think that... Um, First of all, it's really important to note that the vast majority of people in our country and throughout the world really appreciates animal source foods. Uh, It is a small minority that doesn't, but the small minority is very loud. So what I'm saying is um, we have an animal agricultural sector. We have farmers and ranchers who care. Um, These farmers and ranchers need to step up and they need to talk about what they do and how they do it. That's really, really important, okay? Um, do not be afraid of talking about animal welfare, to talk about how you um, protect your natural resources and with it, the environment. Um, you know, talk about how proud you are of what you produce. And, you know, show the pride of what you do and don't feel, don't feel defensive of what you do. Feel proud of what you do. Uh, I think this is really important. There are many people who feel so battered now that they just, disengage when the opposite is what we need to do. The opposite is what we need to do. We need to show pride in what we do because you are proud of what you do. But um, you have to communicate that with an interesting, interested public. The problem right now is 
that everybody who doesn't like you is out there tooting, okay? It's out there uh, with, with a megaphone, okay? Mm -hmm. Being really, really loud and uh, obnoxious. And uh, who, is, who is missing on the scene are people like you. Mm -hmm. The public wants to hear from farmers and ranchers about how they produce the food. Those farmers and ranchers are not there. The few that are there are extremely effective. I gave a talk not too long ago, um, and after the talk, a guy came to me to shake my hand, and he introduced himself to me, and I said, well, I remember, I remember reading your name. Aren't you on Twitter? And he said, yes, and he told me what his Twitter handle is. And then I said, gosh, yeah, I know exactly who you are. You have something like 40,000 followers. He said, yes, I do. And I said, well, how do you do that? You know, that's amazing. That's really rare. And he said, one word, authenticity. And I said, well, I know what authenticity is, but how do you, what do you mean with that? And he said, um, I tell my story as a farmer the way it is. I don't give them some PR, uh, but I tell them the way it is. I tell them how I care day in, day out for my animals. And, uh, and I just have them partake in my life. And I said, I asked him, so can you give me an example? He said, absolutely. He said, the other day, my father and I were called by a herd, herdsman. Um, he was, he's a dairyman um, to, to come out because um, there was a cow with dystocia, uh, difficulty giving birth. And uh, so we went out at 9 o'clock in the evening, and we tried to help that cow giving birth. And she just couldn't do it. And so we went in and tried to turn uh, turn the calf around uh, to get it out, and we, we just couldn't do it. At the end, we had to pull her out, and the calf was dead, and in the process, something went wrong with the cow, and the mother, the mother cow died as well. So we spent eight hours pretty much all night trying to help that calf, trying to help that cow. And uh, I was totally frustrated. My father was totally frustrated, he said. And then the next day I sat down and I wrote this up. And I shared it on Twitter. You know, first a tweet and then, uh, you know, a little blog with that, explained what happened. And, and he said within a day I had several hundred thousand people, several hundred hmm. thousand people uh, checking this out and so many people telling him, well, thank you so much for sharing and that, that must have been heartbreaking and gut-wrenching and sorry you had to go through that and thank you for sharing. People appreciate that level of authenticity in ways that you cannot even imagine. We always think we need to tell a good story. Mm -hmm. No, we don't need to tell a good story. We need to tell a story because people understand there's no business out there that's just a good story. They want to hear an authentic story of you caring. And the people who do are very successful and they make an impact. Well, Dr. Mittlerner, I do want to thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. You are so welcome. I wish all of you good luck, and uh, I think you do have a great story to tell, and you need to be proud of telling it. And uh, don't wait for people like me to do it for you. I can help you. People like I can help you, but you have to be, um, you have to be active as well. We can only win this together. Dr. Frank Mitlerner, professor at UC Davis, has been my guest on our episode today. And earlier, he had mentioned the Clear Center at UC Davis as a resource for our industry to use as we work to tell our story. 
And if you're interested in finding more about the CLEAR Research Center, their website is www.clear.ucdavis.edu. Again, that website is clear.ucdavis.edu. Now, we also talked about a YouTube video, and if you want to find that one, you can just search in your YouTube the title, Eating Less Meat Won't Save the Planet, Here's Why, and that should take you to the video that is actually very informative. Before we head to break, I'm going to be honest with you that I found Dr. Mittlerner's information very educational, very useful and encouraging, but I, I come away with actually more questions, and not that I really question him, rather It was more questions to be motivated to grasp more of the facts about this issue of climate change. I I know there's a lot of different angles that I am wanting to explore about climate change and agriculture, and I plan to do another show again on this topic to take us further down the road of telling our story and being proud of our industry what it has been and what it can continue to do in regards to being a sustainable and a healthy food source for our world. So we are not done by any means on this issue as I believe there are other things and other facts that we need to have at the forefront of our mind as we continue to try to tell our story. Well, up next, meteorologist Don Day will join us as he outlines the areas across the country he's worried about for drought and an update on our La Nina weather pattern right here on the Working Ranch Radio Show on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM. The Beefmaster excels in all maternal traits. They get bred easily, year in and year out. They make raising good calves look easy and possess excellent longevity, not breaking down in tough environments. Research shows the breed ranks above others for feed efficiency, one of the most important production traits. If your cow herd has lost its ability to adapt, maybe it's time to rebuild with proven Beefmaster females. Nothing beats a Beefmaster. Learn more about what the Beefmaster cow can do at beefmasters.org. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and we're joined now by meteorologist Don Day. And Don, when you look at our latest drought map, we're going to see that much of the country is in drier than normal conditions. However, there's a couple areas that have you a little bit more concerned, and one of those is west of the Continental Divide. Yeah, I'm really concerned about the the, the western part of the nation on the western side of the Continental Divide. This would be from the Pacific Northwest through the Great Basin. This would include California. This would include uh, the western slope of Colorado, Utah, western Wyoming, Idaho, down into New Mexico. And then there's another area I'm concerned about, and, and this is always a concern when, you, when you're still talking La Nina, and that's the southern plains. Uh, although there, there's been a little bit of rain and there's going to be some southern plains rain here in the coming weeks, Still worried about parts of eastern Colorado, southeastern Colorado mainly, western areas of Kansas, the Oklahoma and Texas panhandle region. And we continue to see a persistent dryness in the northwest Corn Belt. And that would include Iowa, parts of Minnesota, and eastern areas of South Dakota, which have had precipitation, but there's still a deficit. But the one area that is just having a real struggle getting any spring moisture is that western slope from the west of the Rockies to the Pacific coast. 
And not to, to beat a dead horse, but just maybe a quick recap on is there any updates with how La Nina's fading out here in terms of timeliness when we might start to see that break and see some moisture? Well, I tell you, it's really stubborn. Uh, this would be considered a, a weak La Nina state we're in right now. But we don't see a rapid drop-off in sea surface temperatures in terms of them changing back to getting warmer again. Uh, We still see a persistent area of cooler-than-average sea surface temperatures from west to South America reaching westward along the equator to near Australia. Now, the western side of the La Nina area has warmed up a little bit, and that has weakened La Nina, but it's still there. And as we have discussed in, in earlier podcasts, Justin, it is... It is there is a high probability after a solar minimum, which we've just had, that La Ninas have a little bit more staying power. A lot of times, La Nina will last a year, year and a half. But now we're 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 getting close to this being a two-year La Nina, and even though it's going to be a weaker La Nina heading into summer, it's still there and it's still going to have an impact. And I think where we're going to see these impacts will be in those far western states. All right. Well, Don, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thanks for having me. Meteorologist Don Day with dayweather.com. I want to thank him for joining us as well as my other guest, Dr. Frank Mitlerner out of UC Davis and the Captain Tim O'Byrne with his two cents. A thank you to our sponsors as well, the American Simmental Association, Sim Genetics, Profit Through Science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Cattleman U, education and community for today's cattle producer. Join today and use the code RANCH for $50 off. The American Hereford Association, performance beef, easy to use, cattle management software. The North American Limousine Foundation, Central Life Sciences, protect your cattle profits with Altacid IGR fly control products. And Beefmaster, nothing beats a Beefmaster. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine. Join us each Saturday at 12 noon Eastern right here on Rural Radio Channel 147 Sirius XM or on your podcast provider. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.